As I said earlier, we're winding down our series, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, based on this enlightening little book by author John Mark Comer. If you haven't gotten a chance to read it, I encourage you to do so. Pick up a copy for yourself and for your family and for all your friends. We have plenty of copies in the bookstore here at White's Chapel. It's a wonderful book because it reminds us of just how prevalent hurry is in our lives. Sometimes we don't see it because we're hurrying around. But over the past month, we have been inspired to find opportunities to practice stillness and silence, to fully participate in the Sabbath, and to live our lives with simplicity. All of this in an attempt to reap the benefits of these opportunities and, as the book title says, ruthlessly eliminate the insidious rule of hurry on our lives. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Todd was here with Pastor John, and they preached a sermon here on Sabbath. You guys remember this? And during that sermon, Todd reminded us of a blessed date in our collective Texas sports history, May 1st, 1991. Anybody remember that? Anybody remember what happened on May 1st, 1991? This is the audience participation portion of the show. Anyone remember what happened? Nolan Ryan, thank you so much. Pastor Tuttle, his heart will be so warm that you remembered his sermon. Yes, May 1st, 1991 was the date that Texas Ranger Nolan Ryan pitched his seventh, seventh no-hitter at home against the Toronto Blue Jays. And during his sermon, Todd talked about how he was in attendance that night at Arlington Stadium at the packed house there where the excitement grew as the innings went on, especially in the seventh inning when it began to be evident a no-hitter was in sight. And Todd asked if any of us in the congregation had been at that monumental, magical night. Anyone there? Raise your hand. It's okay. Some of us have been. I raised my hand too because I was there. I was there at that game. I was there with my grandfather, who was my fellow die-hard Texas Ranger fan. We went to so many games together, so many games. And I remember that night distinctly how awesome it was to watch our favorite pitcher, Nolan Ryan, on the mound. And the excitement was building as inning after inning, Nolan struck out batter after batter after batter. But what I remember most about that night, May 1st, 1991, is this. At the end of the seventh inning, as the word was getting out that Nolan Ryan was gonna make history that night, fans started gathering from all over Tarrant County, gathering at the ballpark to take advantage of the fact that at the time, you could get in free after the fifth inning. (laughs) Wonderful idea. And as the crowd grew and energy increased, as we all began to realize a no-hitter was in sight, my grandfather and I, the diehard Texas Rangers fans we were, made our way to the exit. (laughs) We left before the game was over. See, my grandfather loved to listen to the ball game on his little pocket transistor radio with one earbud in as he sat in the stands. And that night, as he listened, he heard the radio broadcasters discuss what a monumental night this was building up to be and how all of Tarrant County was rushing to get into the stadium and witness history. 
And as the seats around us filled up and the whole stadium began to kind of buzz with electricity, we could see a no-hitter was indeed on the horizon. But here's what my grandfather was thinking about. He was thinking about all the traffic we would encounter after the game. So we left to avoid traffic and avoid traffic we did. We listened to the whole thing unfold with Eric Nadell and Mark Holtz on KRLD over a tinny factory installed radio in my grandfather's little two door Datsun. We sped out of there so fast. We beat all the traffic that night. There wasn't a car in sight. You know why? Because all the traffic was headed in the opposite direction. It was going to the stadium to witness history. My grandfather and I let hurry get the best of us. Now, I love my grandfather dearly. He passed away uh, years ago. Didn't get to see the new enclosed ballpark with the air conditioning. He would have loved that. But I often wonder, I often wonder what being there in person must have felt like, especially after I heard Pastor Todd talk about how amazing it was. What if, I wonder, what if my grandfather and I had just slowed down, taken a breath, taken a moment, and allowed ourselves to realize the potential momentous occasion that was about to happen for our favorite pitcher and our beloved Texas Rangers? What if we had allowed ourselves to not get caught up in the hurry and the worry, and instead allow ourselves to get caught up in the enthusiasm and the energy of the crowd? What a celebration we could have been a part of. What if we had just slowed down and not let hurry get the best of us? Hurry has a way of doing that, getting the best of us. It did back in 1991. It does so today. It probably does even more so today because all the technology that we have at our fingertips. Hurry has a way of robbing us of fully experiencing life. Hurry has an insidious way of forcing us to make knee-jerk decisions in the moment, only to find ourselves second-guessing those decisions when we look back on them in the harsh light of hindsight. That's why we must ruthlessly eliminate hurry in our lives. And how do we do that? We've already heard some examples. One of the examples, Comer says, to eliminate hurry, we must counteract our desire to hurry through life with the practice he calls slowing. It's not a very complex practice. Slowing is simply slowing down our bodies, slowing down our minds, slowing down our lives. I know what you're thinking. Because I thought the same thing when I read this, too. This practice that he's talking about, this practice of slowing, is completely counterintuitive to everything that I have been taught and maybe you have been taught about how we can function in the world around us. The practice of slowing is completely opposite of what I've read about how to succeed and survive in this fast-paced, push-button, lightning-fast world we live in. But Comer writes, to live a life of authentic faith, we must 
slow down and let our values align with our practices. If we value a life lived following the way of Jesus, a life of growing maturity towards fully realized love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness, we must slow down. We must take our schedules and practices and align those with our values. In other words, if we want to live a life like Jesus, a life that takes silence and solitude and Sabbath and simplicity seriously, we have to let go of our desire to hurry from one place, one thing, one moment to another and embrace something slower. We, we practice slowing, we take ourselves out of the lead and place ourselves in the stance of a follower, a follower of Jesus Christ. As pastor and author John Ortberg writes, following Jesus cannot be done at a sprint. If we want to follow someone, we can't go faster than the one who is leading. We see a perfect example of this practice of slowing in our scripture for today, which comes to us from the book of James, chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. And these two verses attributed to James, who was a, a close personal friend of Jesus and a, a pillar of the community of Jesus's in Jerusalem, provides us with a rich metaphor to think about as we consider the practice of slowing. Hear these words from James. Be patient, therefore, beloved, he says, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it until it receives the early and late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. In these passages from James, we read about a farmer who grows a precious crop. And in the planting and the growing of his crop, the farmer demonstrates patience and the value of this practice of slowing. For example, the early and late rains that are mentioned in our passages are vital to the growth of his successful crop. The early rain of fall comes and softens the soil and signals him that it is time to plant the crop, to plow his field and get it ready and plant the seeds. And then that rain essential for the farmer to grow the crop he's planted continues to fall throughout the winter, nourishing and helping his crop to grow. And then the late rains arrive and stay throughout the spring, ripening the crops to prepare them for harvesting during the dry summer months. The farmer's adherence to and trust in this season, this cycle is crucial for the crop's success. Because if he hurries and pushes the planting, ripening, growing and harvest of the crop before it's time, before the rain can help it take root and grow, it would be catastrophic. He could lose his entire crop and possibly go bankrupt. It's the same way with our lives. If we push ourselves too hard and we go against the grain of the universe, 
We fail to adhere to the necessary seasons and cycles that God has put in place for our lives, and we hurry through life, we will end up burnt out and bankrupt emotionally, spiritually, physically, and mentally. So instead, we, like the farmer, must tune our lives to this practice of slowing, of aligning our schedules with God's unforced rhythms of grace. We must faithfully trust in God's timing so that what we are seeking to accomplish for him through our lives can have the time to be softened and ripened, nurtured and grown, ripened and harvested successfully. Again, I can sense the pushback on this proposal. You're thinking to yourselves, as I did when I read this, if we slow everything down, how will we get anything done, right? Case in point, my wife Joy and I, Joy's right here, we listen to the same podcast weekly. And this podcast typically lasts about an hour. It's both entertaining and intriguing podcast, making us eager to listen to new episodes that appear every Monday. And for those of you who don't know what a podcast is, it's like a radio program, okay? Talk radio for the enlightened technological crowd. <laughs> but here's the difference. I set the speed, I listen to this podcast at twice its normal speed so that I can listen to what would generally be an hour-long podcast in 20 to 25 minutes. The time of my morning commute from my home in Roanoke to here in White's Chapel in Southlake. Now by doing this, I figure I can have the entire episode listened to by the end of the day Monday. You can see the brilliance of my efficiency, right? It makes complete sense, doesn't it? Joy, however, prefers to listen to this podcast at its intended pace, letting moments linger and appreciating all of the pregnant pauses and careful transitions between thoughts. And I must admit, it's a little like listening to the chipmunks do a radio program because the octave of the host's voice gets higher and higher and higher as the pace begins to quicken. But I justify my speeding up of this podcast with the rationale that I can get it done. I can get it out of the way, have it listened to so I can listen to all the other things I want to listen to. Think about all the other things on my morning commute the rest of the week. And I personally believe, before I read this, that I was the model of efficiency. But the reality is, as scientists and researchers have found through numerous studies and reminded us countless times and times again, there is in fact no direct correlation, no direct link between hurry and productivity. In fact, it's quite the opposite. So, in fact, I am duping myself. I'm not this model of efficiency. I'm actually robbing myself of the joy of listening to the nuances and the stories shared within this podcast. I'm, I'm robbing myself of the, the opportunity to enjoy life. Now, when I talk about slowing our pace, I'm not talking about dragging our feet or being chronically late. I am not giving anyone a hall pass or an excuse for tardiness or laziness or chronic lateness. Some of you don't need that because it's already part of your lives, so 
uh, part of your DNA, myself included. I'm not talking about adopting a practice that discounts or blows through due dates and timelines or inconveniences others with our delay. That's not what I'm talking about here. What I am talking about is an intentional structuring or possibly restructuring of our schedules so we can meet our needs and the needs of others and those that depend upon us while moving at a pace that doesn't feel forced or hurried or exhausting. Slowing takes intention, but when we practice slowing, we will find that the choice is so worth it. Because when we slow ourselves, when we slow our paces and our schedules and our lives, we allow ourselves the opportunity to behold, to behold what is going on around us, to behold what God is accomplishing in our midst, what God is accomplishing in the world around us and in our individual lives. When we slow down, we can savor the subtleties. We can sit with things and ponder them and allow them to really marinate and enrich our lives. When we practice slowing, we behold how God's fingerprints are on the pages of every chapter in the book of our lives and how God's fingerprints are all over the works of his creation. My family and I were blessed to take a trip to the Grand Canyon two years ago. And we made it to Arizona in the early evening and by sheer luck, I mean sheer luck, we had no plans put together whatsoever. My wife, my brilliant wife Joy, found us a room in the lodge on the south rim of the Grand Canyon. But by the time we rolled into the park to check into this room, it was nighttime. And our view of the Grand Canyon was literally just a vast, empty, pitch black expanse. We couldn't see a thing. We were kind of underwhelmed, honestly. So we went to bed, road weary and ready to get some rest, not knowing how the next day would unfold. And the following morning, we woke up early just before the sunrise, and as we were getting ready, I was honestly worried. I was worried that scheduling an entire day at the Grand Canyon may have been a huge mistake. I mean, after all, it's a giant hole. What would we do here for an entire day? And as I was thinking about this, as this thought was swirling around my head, We walked out of our room and we rounded the corner of the lodge towards the canyon. And there before us, there before us was a magnificent sight. A sight I will never, ever forget. The sun was rising on the canyon, casting bits of light ever so slowly into its seemingly endless nooks and crannies. It was painting the sky and the rock faces with brilliant blues and pinks and reds. And I was frozen, I couldn't move. I stood there in awesome wonder for what seemed like hours as the sun slowly crept up the sky. In reality, it was only a few minutes, but my eyes were locked. My eyes were locked beholding the beauty and the grandeur and the majesty of God's creation before me. 
And I felt in that moment God lovingly put his hand on my shoulder to slow me down and truly behold what he had created. My family and I spent the entire day, I'm happy to report, slowly walking along the rim. And when we got to where we thought the buses would be to take us back to our lodge, we found a new blessing. The buses were in fact not running that day. (laughs) So we had to walk back the two mile trek to our lodge. Slowed by this development, my family and I enjoyed a long, leisurely, lovely hike through the woods along the canyon back to our lodge. And as we were walking back, I had time to think and reflect and I was glad, I was honestly glad we had carved out an entire day to see the Grand Canyon. And when we were driving away, I found myself wanting more. I found myself wanting to stay longer. This is what happens when we build in opportunities to slow our pace, when we reorient our frenetic, unruly, speedy schedules in our lives to the slow, deliberate, careful speed of God. We get the chance to behold, to behold how God is at work. We get to fully experience the wonders wrought by his own hands and bear witness to what he is weaving together in our midst. Another thing we must consider is when we slow ourselves, we place our schedules in God's hands and put our trust in his timeline and his pace. Ecclesiastes 3 reminds us, in God's timeline, everything has a season and there is a time for every matter under heaven. When we slow down, we become beholden to God's timing. I love what theologian Kosuke Koyama writes about this very subject, noting that the average human being, and I say average human being, walks at a pace of three miles an hour. Koyama writes that we worship a three mile an hour God, not a God that matches our pace, but one that sets our pace so that we, who are made in God's image, can follow after him. Love has its speed, he writes. It is an inner speed, it is a spiritual speed, it is a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we're accustomed to. It is slow, he says, yet it is Lord over all other speeds, since it is the speed of God's love. It goes on in the depth of our life, whether we notice it or not, at three miles an hour. It is the speed we walk. And therefore, he says, it is the speed the love of God walks. Becoming beholden to God's timing gives us a sense of the bigger picture of what God is up to and how God's kingdom plan unfolds before us. As we celebrate Pentecost this weekend, think about this. The apostles gathered 2,000 years ago there in Jerusalem waiting for 50 days after the events of Jesus' death and resurrection. They were worried, they were huddled together in secret, waiting and wondering what would become of them 
That must have seemed like an eternity. 50 days waiting on the promised Holy Spirit for a prompting of what they were to accomplish next. But then we're told, suddenly from heaven, there came the sound like the rush of a violent wind filling the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them and a tongue of flame rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. The gospel of Jesus Christ was shared that day without the barriers of language to stop it. And the church of Jesus Christ was born. And we are the benefactors of that event. But here we are over 2,000 years later as the kingdom work of God continues as the harvest continues, as the gospel continues to be shared and lives continue to be changed, and we still, we still faithfully await the Lord's return. Not beholden to our timing, but to God's timing. We all remember that beloved Sunday school song we learned as kids. It may have been the first song you learned. He's got the whole world in his hands. Y'all remember that song? He's got the whole world in his hands. 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 He's got the wind and the rain in his hands. He's got the little bitty babies in his hands. He's got everybody here. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. Mm. I love that song. I love that song because I love that image of God holding us, each and every one of us, in his hands. It is such a comforting image, isn't it? Knowing that the God who creates us, who redeems us, and who sustains us, holds us in his very hands. I encourage you to think about that image when you think about the practice of slowing. Because when we slow down our bodies and our minds and our lives, when we reorient our timing and pace to God's, we allow ourselves to be held, to be held in the very hands of a loving God but we are really hard to hold on to when we are moving at the breakneck speed of the world around us. We bristle and we bustle. We're like a you know, newborn baby that's trying to wiggle out of their father's or mother's arms, trying to break free from God's loving embrace at every opportunity when we let hurry dictate how we live. But when we slow ourselves, we allow ourselves to be held in his hands held in his hands where we find and feel the confidence in our place there. We feel confident in the unconditional love and support we, God's beloved, find there. When we slow down, that is what a life of faith in God is all about. It's not about hurrying and speeding through life at a breakneck speed only to come out the other side exhausted and burnt out. It is about slowing ourselves, 
allowing God to be in control and allowing God to lead us to whatever he has in store for us. In the end, as our scripture from James reminds us, it's not if we wait, it's how we wait. And so I close our time together with that very question. How will we, you and I, wait? How will we wait for the Lord? Will we hurry for the exit in the seventh inning of a no-hitter? We pack our schedule so tight that we can't possibly slow down to behold the wonders and the majesty that God has for us? Or will we do all we can to ruthlessly eliminate the needless, pointless hurry in our lives? Will we slow ourselves to match God's pace, giving God all glory, honor, and praise by trusting in his timing by tuning our hearts to sing of his love and his grace. We, through the way we live our lives, invite ourselves and all those around us to faithfully wait in the hands of a loving God. My prayer for all of us, my prayer for myself, is that we can adopt this practice of slowing and choose to behold what God is up to be beholden to God's timing and pace and be held in the peace and the comfort of the very palms of God's hands. Let us pray. Eternal, gracious, and good Father, so much of our daily lives, you know, are filled with hurry and worry and stress. And we fail to see the bigger picture. We fail to trust in your goodness, to walk at your slow, deliberate, careful pace. Gracious God, free us from hurry. Allow us to ruthlessly eliminate it from our lives by walking at your pace, by trusting in your timing, and allowing your plan to guide us God, we want to walk in the way of your Son, our Savior, Jesus. In his life, we sense and see an unforced rhythm of grace, an intimate connection with you, a willingness to follow where you lead, and a way of treating each and every person as your beloved children. So gracious God, we ask that you help our values align with our patterns and practices our faith to align with your will and not our own so that we can lead authentic, honest, faithful lives free from anything that would keep us from experiencing the fullness of what you promise us through Jesus Christ. We need you, God. Each and every day we need to acknowledge how you are at work in the world around us we need to see your fingerprints on the pages of our lives, so open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds and our souls, conform them to your sight, your love, your thoughts, and your will. God, we cannot do life without you, so slow us down, guide our every step, 
so that as, our, as we follow after you, we will find abundant life in this world and eternal life in the next. We lift all this to you and pray all this to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss new releases. We'll have new podcasts coming out all the time. Be sure to check us out online at whiteschapelumc.com. Please download the WC Life app and follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things WC.